0: I just remember walking over, you've got players like Gareth Barry there who I was just in awe of. I couldn't get to grips with the fact that I was I was training with, with these players every day. As soon as he named the team, I sort of snuck my phone, went to the one of the cubicles and I was like texting my my dad and, and my mum, like trying trying to tell him that, that I was playing. He came came up to my room and assessed me and, and says, Right, it's your appendix, you need to get back to Little Aston Hospital. I've never felt so sort of nervous for a game going into that one because I knew what was at stake and um, early on we was we was all over them and I thought we just can't lose this game. I'd probably say throughout my whole whole Villa time I, I never really felt that I was established. You sort of know it that it's aimed at the manager but then you're thinking well... the managers picking me like are they not happy with me it it was it was a toxic dressing room there was it was very separated a lot of the big names had gone the the names that sort of held it all together whatever was on the table for me i would have accepted 100 percent because there was no way i didn't even in my in my head think that i
1: would would leave villa You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Claret and Blue. Um, we've got a really, really special guest for you tonight. I think it's our first uh, first ever Premier League winner. It might well be our last, uh, given as this is a Villa podcast. But uh, a big welcome to Mark Albrighton. How are you, Mark?
0: Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yes, I've I've seen a, a few of the lads that have, that have been on recently, so uh, it's good to be on. We're
1: going to take you take you back to the beginning. First of all, to when when you were a young boy growing up in Tamworth. What was your What was your first experience of having a ball at your feet, Mark? Can you remember?
0: Um, my first experience was probably in the garden. I, I was in the garden constantly. Um, I just remember my mom and dad's garden. All the pictures have just got a strip of a uh, strip of mud straight down the middle middle of the garden um so yeah like at the time i didn't didn't really um my my dad obviously went on, oh, no, I was like you need to get off the grass like you you're ruining the grass and stuff like that and at the time I was just like, yeah like it's fine, but now i' now I've got my own grass and my own kids I, I know how he feels so. um but no, I was um a lot in the garden and then uh I remember go into uh, one of the local schools and they did a, a mini kickers type thing um over on the the school field and I remember turning up there and they said I got there and I was sort of watching from the sidelines it was a mate of my dad's that that ran it um and I remember getting to the sidelines and um and looking and all I all I wanted to do was was get out there and They put me. There was two groups. There was a younger group and an older group. And I remember being in the younger group for for probably five minutes. And um, the the guy that ran it said, "You need to go in the older group because nobody else is getting a getting a touch." And it and it weren't fair. So um, I went headed over to the older group. And uh, physically, it's obviously difficult, but um, I I held my own and. and then from then on I remember my dad sort of promising me um an Everton mint every time I every time I scored a goal and I think we got in the car one day and I'd scored sort of eight or nine goals and he said, Well, we need to we need to uh, amend this uh, amend this uh, you can't be eating eight or nine Everton
1: mints every week. So you'd be a great you've turned into a Premier League football for, footballer, but you've got no teeth left. Yeah, that's that, about that, that right. <laughs> So, were you always kind of hardworking, energetic, kind of bit of a kind of you know Duracell bunny, getting up and down the pitch? Has that always been a feature of your game, even since you were a kid?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I've, when I was a kid, I just had energy to burn, um, and all I wanted to do was play football. Like there was there was nothing else that that interested me. Get get me a ball, get me uh, a small bit of grass, and and I'll make the most. of it, it didn't even have to be a ball, like walking around the streets, you. With the days where you, you kick cans and bottles around and stuff like that, anything. And I, I sort of get, I obviously had that in me, but I think my, I, I class my dad as, as a real, and my mum as, as real hardworking people. Like they've, they've worked all their lives and they've earned everything they've got. And they've, they've worked for it all. And I think that's, that rubs off on me. Like I, I don't want anything for free. I want, I, I want to feel like I've earned, earned everything. And, If I come off a pitch, um, whether it be when I was younger or, or now, like I wanna, I wanna come off and drive home having felt like I've, I've, I've had a good day's work and I've had a, had a day's work and, and done, done everything I can.
1: So with your dad, other than him kind of telling you off for, for wrecking his lawn, was he, was he kind of a competitive dad? Did he, did he push you forward or was it kind of driven by you or a bit of both? No, not
0: competitive in the, in the slightest. Um, he always just wanted what, what I wanted he never he never had to be competitive it was it was always um it was always my decision and um it, it was it was everything that that I wanted to do there was there was times where he he'd sort of have to pull me in from outside because it was it was pitch black or and I had school the next day or or whatever but he, he never pushed me to do to do anything he was um he was just happy to go uh, go along with with everything that i want, i wanted to do and Luckily for him, like he don't get me wrong, he wanted me to to go make it as a as a footballer because football was was his life as well, and um, it, it was him that he didn't really have to do much much pushing.
1: So was it Milo Monarchs, the the kids team that you played for? Is that right? I remember I didn't really
0: play local football for too long. It was sort of eighteen months, two years, and um, I think I had about three or four different different clubs um, just around just. Ones that I enjoyed, like and and Milo was probably the one that sort of stands out as the one where I was for for the majority of that time. Um, I think we there was the Myloke Hotel that was sort of on the traffic lights, and it's gone now. Um, but there was a pitch at the back; The have built houses on it now. But there was a a, a small pitch at the back, and that's where we played our games. And um, after the games, we'd be going in chip butters, and all the lads, all the parents were. Were there and it was a real good sort of family feel to it.
1: So back then, were you were you a winger from day one? No, um, centre forward. Uh,
0: I was I was a striker for for the majority of my uh, my time growing up. It was um, it weren't until scoring Cowan's in when I was six. I think I was in the under 16s and it was only then when I didn't really grow as much um, when I was younger and everybody else seemed to seem to take the shoot and I I missed it and um, I was a bit later and uh, I was coming up against defenders that were sort of six foot already i remember playing Coventry um, and they had a they had a center half that was that was probably double my size and from then on it was just you want to go out to the wing you'll get more space out there you you can play with um, you don't have to play with your back to goal all the time and I tried that and yeah, just went on from there. Can I ask what
1: you were like at school in terms of, you know, obviously you got some magic in your boots and you're able to, to make a very, very good living as a footballer. Was there ever a plan B?
0: No, there weren't, no. Um, Which obviously it's turned out well. If if football weren't there, I I would have been, um, I I wouldn't have been left with many options, but it, it was just, I just didn't care about anything else. I think you've got to, I, I believe you just got to care about things to do well in them, and um, school just weren't like it, it. It was in the way of my football. If anything, and, um, where as I got as I got older, it was um, I, I sort of had like a day release from school where I could go into go into Bonnymore Heath and train with the youth team. But when I was younger, it was just all about all about football. I, I was sitting in lesson thinking like, how long till till break time? How long till lunch time? So I can go. And, became a game of football um, and even Monday mornings like the, the teachers did know this and the teachers would, would, would be asking Monday morning how'd you get on like how did you do and, and, and most of them took an interest which obviously made me feel a whole lot better and, um, and, and I think they, they sort of accepted that football was,
1: was my life So is it right that, that you went to West Brom first of all for, was that your first, first taste of a professional club?
0: I can't really sort of remember exactly how, how that ended. Um, I know there was reports that i got released or, um, but i I never, never signed anything. Uh, there, that I think they, they offered me, they, they asked me to go for a six or an eight week trial. Um, me and, and another lad from, from Milo. And we went there, the other lad was a goalkeeper. Uh, we traveled in together and, um, twice a week, uh, no games on the weekend. It was only uh, we we would have been seven at the time, so there was no games at, at that age then and um I just remember going it was on a massive AstroTurf pitch well what seemed like a massive AstroTurf pitch and um there was there must have been three hundred kids there and I, I I stuck it out for a bit but I just didn't didn't enjoy it and I think my mum and dad knew that I didn't enjoy it as well and um it, it just weren't it just didn't feel right I weren't excited to go I'd rather go and go and train or go play in the garden or go and train with my local team and um, it just never just never I, I never enjoyed it and um I, like I said I don't really know how it ended whether it was just I stopped going or, or whether they said like oh, we've, we've seen enough I'm not I'm not sure how, how that ended but it was um, villa Villa Came like oh, I remember that being quite a close period between stopping there and, and then Villa coming in for me.
1: So, were you at Villa? So, what eight, the age of eight or nine, then was it as early as that? Yeah, I think, well, I think
0: I might, it might even have been seven, um, almost eight. I remember starting my trial um, and I had a six week trial um, and then. He, they signed me after six weeks me and me and another lad called uh, Demetrius and we had our photo and it was it was in the paper and my mom still got the cuttings and it was that that was the like that was at that time it was the best
1: best thing that um I could have ever imagined so by that stage then Mark you'd already been kind of indoctrinated in all things Claret and Blue you're already a kind of fully fledged Villa fan
0: yeah like full, fully Villa fan my, my dad um, started off my dad like he he was Villa through and through as as he grew up um, he he was he tells me about the times when um they won the league at Arsenal and uh, he was there and then he, he went to to the European Cup final and he's got all the photos and everything was Villa I'm like oh, my my bedroom was Villa quilt Villa wallpaper it was just everything Villa and um it it was. To, to then go to the training ground, which I, I, I literally had no idea that academies existed or that, that you could be signed for, for Villa at, at, at seven or eight years old. I just had no idea. I was sort of naive to it all. And um, it was, it, like I say, it was the best thing that could have ever happened.
1: So at the age when you, you're joining Villa, at the age of seven or eight, are you, is your dad taking to the occasional match? Already by then, are you you getting to Villa Park to watch the lads?
0: Yeah, um, we. He took me a few times. uh, Doug Ellis stand. I remember sitting. uh, I've got photos when I was was youngest in the Doug Ellis stand, just on the uh, on the side of the pitch, on the bottom with um, with the mascot, and um, just memories like that. And then, obviously, when once I started playing with. with, with the academy, we started getting free tickets, so uh, that helped. That helped him out massively, and we was there every, every single week.
1: So I'm just i trying to do the maths. What what kind of era are we talking about? Then who who were the first players that you you really kind of idolised Then so
0: it would have been obviously Benito Carboni was was there. Dion Dublin. Dublin, uh, um, I've got even before that. I've got pictures at the training ground of me sort of at the gates getting. I think it was Phil King getting Phil King's autograph. Um and my mum's got a picture of that at home and um obviously now with it being the the kids waiting for, for our autographs it's it, it it's still surreal and um but yeah that was that was sort of the era that, that I was coming through. I remember we had Hadji and cash Lowell and uh, and players like that. And at the time we we was behind the the dugouts in the Trinity Road and um, the they had the, the brick dugouts at the time. So I remember John Gregory was the man and he had the loud whistle in, in football. And, um, and you used to see the players come, like if they get, get substituted, you could, you're literally touching distance away from them. And for me, that was like, it was, it was incredible.
1: Taking you into your kind of time at, at the academy. So you're there, I mean, you're there from the age of seven or eight. Can you remember? I'm probably asking, probably a bit of a loaded question for people whose names we might know. But who would have who would have been your kind of best mate if you were coming through? I mean, if we don't know him, it doesn't matter. But who would have been you? You've been closest to as you came through the academy.
0: We had a really good group at that age. We had um, there was we had two twins. We had a a set of twins, Elliot and Jack Parrish. Um, Elliot stayed on a lot longer. Um, He saw, I think maybe reserves. I think he left. He's now, uh, playing at St Johnston, um, up in Scotland. Um, so we had him and he was, yeah, they were probably my, my best friends. Uh, we, we met up a lot with them outside of football. Um, our dads, our dads were close and, um, yeah, that was, that was probably the main one. um, there was a couple of others as well, uh, Stephen Webb and um, Matthew Room, and uh, you, you probably probably won't know these lads, but that at the time was was a, a real good group, and a lot of a lot of them made it to at least youth team and, and reserve level.
1: So, what was it like as a kind of as a young starry eyed boy? Kind of, I know you wouldn't be in the same dressing room, but you'd be in the same training ground as some of the first team stars. Was there much interaction between? Yourselves as kids, and probably as you're getting older, I'm, I'm thinking. now probably as you're getting into into your teenage years, was there much interaction there between you guys and the senior pros.
0: When we was younger, it was a, a lot smaller training ground. It was it, it was a very small training ground, and you had no option other than to to be around, like be around each other. The first the first real memory I've got was um, it was the Rugby World Cup final um, against Australia, and we. Uh, as the the academy, we had the the option whether to go in or not, um, and the coaches sort of said that um, a couple of coaches were in. If you wanted to go in, you can. If not, they fully understand. And they um, uh, uh, and if you want to stay at home, you can. And straight away, I, like I didn't really take an interest in rugby, and um, I, I went I went in and and trained. And there, I think there was about three of us in the end. And we went into the building after for. For food, and uh, I remember sitting down in the in the parents' lounge, and, and the first team were in there w- watching the the end of the game, and it had just finished. And um, I remember looking around, and, and there was players like Dion Dublin, and there seemed, uh, just looking at them. The seemed sort of eight, eight, nine foot tall, and I just couldn't I couldn't believe like that I was in the same room as them, and they were they were talking about the game, and. Um, it was, it was panning on to the Australian players and, and the, there was sort of swearing at each other. And, <laughs> and when I'm that age, I'm thinking, oh my God, like the Dublin swears or, or whatever. And it was, it was just a surreal environment to be in.
1: We've spoken to a, a couple of kind of former pros and we spoke to Baz the other week. Um, who's, what kind of chores did you get landed with and whose boots did you have to scrub? <laughs> yeah, I
0: got the short straw really. I, um, I was on John Carew's boots uh, for the majority, which, as you can imagine, weren't the smallest boots. It was um, quite large. And I was on his, um, Olaf Melberg's, uh, and I think maybe Sorenson's. Like every, we, we had to wear sort of black leather boots. Um, the, the youth team bought that, the first team, could obviously wear whatever boots they wanted. And um, they are sort of... Material, red, yellow, all different colors, and you're thinking like I've never cleaned these boots before I'm just used to scrubbing and putting a bit of polish on or dubbing but material boots, obviously you don't do that what you do like you can't get them too wet because the players don't like it and um yeah that was that was a difficult um a difficult baptism, but uh then so after the the boot cleaning, we like you say we all had jobs and we had to we, we had to get in early and, and set the first team pitch up so I think that was my job there was three or four of us that did that and um, we'd set the pitch up we'd get all the equipment out for for the coaches and then once they'd finished we'd have to hang around and go and fetch all the balls um, that could have been everywhere like I remember Craig Gardner used to do finishing practice um, at the end of at the end of sessions and on their last shot, they'd deliberately smash it into the quarry, and, and we'd be we'd be fetching them. And um, with with the kit man at the time, he was he, he was quite sort of intimidating for a young, a young player. Um, and if you if you didn't have a full set of balls, sort to bring back to him, he like it'd go crazy at you. So it was it was quite a, a tough time.
1: Another thing I've read from your time in the academy—I don't know whether you requested it or whether you were just told to turn up and do it—had kind of cookery classes.
0: Yeah, it was. We we had been told uh, youth team had to go and had to go into uh, Villa Park and and do them at Villa Park with the the head chef of, like of the catering team at Villa Park, and there was a they ran sort of a college course there, and we sort of got involved in the college course for for a few weeks. I I really enjoy cooking now. I'm I'm sort of the cook in the house. Uh, um, I, I sort of enjoyed it. it. It got me the basics. Didn't really teach you sort of many meals or anything, but it gave you the 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 main basics that you need for sort of spaghetti bolognese, for spaghetti bolognese, uh, shepherd's pie, um, meals like that, that that sort of you eat as a as a footballer pl- like plenty of carbs and. Um, I didn't really know anything about cooking then because we was a, we was in digs. But what as soon as I come out, I, I sort of took to cooking straight away in, in my house. I was I've always I've always cooked.
1: So what's your speciality then? Because I imagine footballers are eating footballers are eating kind of Michelin star, kind of cordon bleu stuff, rather than kind of what we do, sticking some waffles and fish fingers in the oven. What, what, what what's what's the uh, signature signature dish? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I've not really got one of them. Uh, lamb curry tonight. I've just had a lamb
0: curry, um, but I just I, I like experimenting with different different foods. I've I've watched I watch a lot of cooking programs. Sort of Saturday mornings. I'm up I'm up early with with the kids anyway. Like especially in in lockdown, and we've had plenty of Saturday mornings like at, at home. So um, there's not much on TV on a on a Saturday morning. So I'll put a cookery program on. Or uh, Jamie Oliver did did a, a series. Um, for especially for for the lockdown, so I watched a lot of that and took them recipes and and, and cooked them. But I enjoy it and um, it sort of gives me a break from from the kids. So I can't be sort of disturbed when I'm cooking. So we all <laughs> got to take over the kids. So it's um, I'll put the radio on and and that'll be me.
1: So on the football pitch around then, you're starting to be part of what I remember to be a very very impressive academy team and a very good reserve team as well. So was there the feeling that kind of that group of players was was a special group um yeah I think at the time
0: I, I could see that like I knew that we was in a group that, that had sort of talented players and but I think more than more than anything it was the work ethic and if somebody weren't pulling their weight then that weren't accepted um, I put a lot of that down to down to the coaching staff um, but also the players Um I remember my first my first few sessions with um, with youth team and um, and the reserves. It was um, it was quite intimidating to go up there. You had sort of Jonathan Hogg, who's obviously at Huddersfield now, but he was um, he was a big moaner. Like I think he still is from what from what I've heard. But he was a big moan. One of the nicest lads you'll ever cross, um, on the pitch. His, his demands were were ridiculously high and i would never really seen that before um so to go up there to somebody like him who was who was older it was it was quite intimidating and um, it took me it took me a good while to get used to um not sort of answering back or anything because you, you obviously you, you know that you're trying you trying your best and some days it, it just won't come off and if somebody's then I, I was my worst critic anyway. I, I beat myself up a lot when I was younger and um, for somebody else to then be beating me up as well, it was um, it was tough to
1: tell So can you remember the first time you were invited to, to train with the, the first team group?
0: I remember it just being like a real sunny day and I got the call from, I was in the, in the gym at the time and somebody must have got injured and I remember getting the call and, and coming out the sort of fire exit doors in the gym and it was real sunny day the pitch was absolutely immaculate there was it had the fresh water on it the, it was the the white Premier League balls and it was I, I just remember walking over you've got players like Gareth Barry there who um, I, I was just in awe of and I think for probably the first year I just I, I couldn't get to grips with the fact that I was I was training with with these players every day
1: probably a silly question did you did you back yourself or were you able to play your natural way in that environment or were you a bit inhibited and a bit reserved no
0: I'd probably say I was a bit reserved um I did I did this really with with the youth team and reserve as well if if I do do a couple of bad things wrong then it, it gets in my head and affects the rest of my rest of my game and that was the same in training if I did a couple of things wrong early on it'd affect the rest of my session and some of the drills that we were doing it was it was one touch and you didn't get the time that you'd get in in the reserve league and, and in the youth team league and Martin um, O'Neill the day before every game we'd do two 10 minute games or three 10 minute games and the last 10 minute had always be one touch and I was I was lost and I, I just didn't the ball was coming to me at uh, a real a real quick pace and the rest of the players on the pitch knew where it was going when, when they when the ball came to them they knew exactly where they were gonna put it. Me, I was what do I do with it? And I was just sort of helping it on, didn't really know what to do. And um it was it, it took some getting used to it.
1: So when was the first time you, you travelled for a match with the with the first team squad was it was it the Peace Cup where you your, your main first team involvement was getting called up to that tour or
0: Yeah so the Peace Cup was um, that was one of the first the first trips well I think yeah that was the first trip I went on Um, I think they went to America the year before that um, and there was talk that a couple of us might be might be travelling with them there Um, but I think in the end he only took might have took Nathan D'Alfonso and uh, Zoltan Stiber Um, there was talk that I might be going so I was sort of listening out will I, won't I uh, in the end didn't go um, but just carried on working and yeah the following year Peace Cup was, was, was incredible we had, a, we had a really young squad because I think there the might have been a, an international tournament that year so a lot of the players weren't, weren't back till, till later so it took a lot of the young lads to that um, but for me to, to go in and play um, I weren't expecting, so I think I did well in the first game, and then he just he just stuck with me and uh, and ended up having a having a really good tournament. I, I was with like Curtis Davis, Emil Heskey, John Carew, Ashley Young, all these players, and it was like on the pitch was was incredible. Um, but off off the pitch, I, I just learned so much like about about the squad and. I was still in the reserve team dressing room back back at the training ground. So although we was training every day, we weren't really interacting with them and never, never really seen them sort of outside of training. So to, to be in a hotel with them sort of every day in the afternoons and we'd be going out to the shops and just uh, that's probably when I found out that footballers are sort of human beings and, and not the, the stars that you think like their place does.
1: What did you make of Del Piero's penalty? Obviously,
0: Guzan knew what he was doing and I think Guzan gave him a bit back after as well. Um, but yeah, at the, at the time, I was obviously for for the first team, it was a, just a, a normal pre-season tournament. But I think for, for the young lads, it was the best tournament ever. And I remember the penalty, uh, the penalty was saved or, Yeah, I think it was that that was the decisive kick, and um, once it was saved, we we sprinted from all the young lads sort of sprinted from the center circle to go and like jump on on goose. And it was more the first teamers were a bit more reserved and just like, well, this is just a pre season thing, but towards it was it was incredible.
1: So, move fast forwarding a little bit, your your main first team debut, I believe, was away in Moscow. What was I I didn't, I, I wasn't on European duty back then but I've heard it was absolutely freezing wasn't
0: it yeah it was cold yeah Um, I remember before the dressing room the um, the referee it might have been or the fourth official came in and and sort of give us a big talk into. uh, checked all our studs before um, we had to show him all all the studs and he said um, right the the black players can wear the the under armour, the black Under Armour tights, um, but the white players can't. <laughs> so we was a bit like, oh, we'll just freeze." Um, but yeah, just got on with it. Uh, I, I, I soon soon warmed up with it being my first, my first game. Like the the, the weather weren't really um, weren't really a factor. The the way Martin O'Neill used to do it was um, was read the team out just before you. Like when you're in the dressing room, about an hour before before kickoff, so um, there was there was talk that I might be playing, might not be, um, but you, you're never really sure until the team's read out. Um, well, I knew, obviously, we had took a, such a young a young squad out there. I knew there was a chance. Um, so as soon as he named the team, I sort of snuck my phone. Um, back into my pocket went to the one of the cubicles and I was like texting my my dad and, and my mum like trying trying to tell them that, that I was playing because it weren't on the it weren't on the TV so um it there was there was somewhere that was showing it uh, that they'd been told about so there was like right if, if you're playing let us know we'll, we'll go there so um I, I sneakily had to do that in the toilets and um and then go and go and get ready for the game but there was a few fans at the airport that uh, on the way back that sort of showed a bit of that they weren't happy towards towards the manager for for taking all the players but it was, um, there, there was there was a few that come up to us and, and sort of said well done and congratulations which was which was great at the time.
1: So did your mum and dad have enough notice to go and watch it on a dodgy stream? Did they see it?
0: Yeah, yeah, they watched it. Um, they said it weren't the best, like, for <laughs> best quality, but yeah, they, they seen it. And um, that's, that's a, a place where, I think they've, they've got it all legal now, so uh, <laughs> somebody else has took it over. So that's a place where I'll go and watch a lot, of, a lot of the
1: games now. In terms of the rest of your time under Martin, was it a little bit, I mean, Martin had got a kind of set... Thirteen or fourteen players, hadn't he? And he didn't really deviate away from that. So was it a kind of a little bit of kind of excitement, but impatience from you wanting to have a little bit more and a little bit more, and not being able to get that much more?
0: Yeah, I think for the first, the first part of it, I was just happy to be around them, that that squad. I was just happy to be a part of it. Um, as time went on, yeah, there was there was a bit of me thinking, oh. Like I'm ready to move on now, like I'm ready to to play a bit more. Um, I'm, I'm ready to um, take somebody's take somebody's place if you like. And um at that, that time though, we had such a such a good a good side and we was finishing like sixth in the league and um it was yeah, it was difficult and a lot of the time you went into into the dressing room and um, Martin O'Neill had just looked at his paper and he'd it go right, same team, same subs, and and that was you in the stand again, and um, yeah, it, it was it was good in the fact that I was travelling and I was getting to see firsthand where I'd, I'd usually be, sort of in the crowd anyway. So it was good in that sense, but then sort of from from my point of view, as as it went on a little bit, I was I was a bit because I I'd, I'd got that little carrot dangling. I was I was so close to it. I just wanted to. To make some appearances and and to, to to
1: put my name out there. I remember at Villa there was a couple of setbacks for you in the in terms of did you have when was it that you appendix burst and you had to be rushed to hospital?
0: Yeah, so I'm not sure the year it probably would have been that the year after the Moscow game or probably the year after that. Um, but yeah, I was it was Blackburn away and was in the hotel and then in the middle of the night couldn't sleep and. Um, just had real bad stomach pains and I've phoned, phoned through to the doctor's room and he came, came up to my room and assessed me and, and says, right, it's your appendix. You need to get back to Little Aston Hospital. The, the, had driver, it was Martin O'Neill's driver. He always took a, a driver up there, um, for him to get back the next day. Um, so he ended up, taking me back and then like coming back up to Blackburn but yeah he, he rushed me back I remember having to stop at a service station or on the hard shoulder so I could be sick and um yeah it was one of the most painful journeys of of my my life it kept me out for not long because I remember it was I think it was about three weeks probably not even um and I'd had this operation and it was uh, keyhole surgery I, I'm, A lot of my mates that have had it Have got big scars across the, their bellies But um, I had it done keyhole And they said you can be back playing in three weeks So um, three weeks went by And um, I got chucked in Liverpool away uh, We played at Anfield And I, I must have only trained for one or two days before that And I remember coming off the pitch thinking I've just gave the worst account of myself that I, I, that could be possible. I was um, I was terrible on the day, and uh, I, yeah, I blamed it
1: on blamed it on that. <laughs> when did the throat operation come? Was that a couple of years later?
0: Yeah, so that was towards towards the end, probably the um, a year, eighteen months before I ended up leaving. Um, it was yeah, it was a tough one that because it, it, as as bad as it was, I, I must have had three or four operations. On my throat in the space of uh, of a year, and it just never. It, it was something that was like a, a disease or a virus, and it was it was something that just kept coming back. And um, they they said every time you get it, there's no there's no treatment for it. We literally just have to sort of put it away. Um, so after that operate after the, the surgery, I had to have three days where I couldn't, I couldn't even speak. Like I had to be deadly silent. So I was literally sitting in the house for, for three days after that. Um, and then two weeks I weren't allowed to to shout or do anything strenuous. So football was was out the window. So every time that I sort of started to, to come back, it'd go again and then I'd have to go back in again. And it was, that was the most frustrating time that I've that I've had during football definitely.
1: Can you remember your first first goal kind of in a competitive game for Villa?
0: Yeah, so I think, think it would have been that my first Premier League goal, the Tottenham, it was Tottenham away. Emil Heskey sort of gone down the right-hand side, I think he's he's bullied some someone to to get by him and and put it across and I've slid in at the back post and ended up going into the post, like sliding into the post with, it was Alan Hutton that was marking me. Um, so all the pictures of me and Alan Hutton sort of in the, in the back of the net. But um, yeah, that, that moment was, was incredible. I, I remember just didn't, didn't know what to do. I like went straight over to, to a and, uh, and celebrated with him and, it was after that. It sort of just um, like blew up a little bit, and obviously, being from round here, everywhere I went was like I was spoke about.
1: Do you remember when you scored the? Was it the Premier League's twentieth goal? Was it or something? I,
0: I had no idea about that. Um, even building up to the game, hadn't heard anything. Hadn't heard that it was it was possibly going to happen on that night. Um, knew nothing about it. Um, I've then scored the goal and, and apparently it came up on the screen, which i never seen at the time. Um, and it weren't until I was walking in the tunnel after the game and somebody, somebody said, You've scored the 20,000th goal. I think it was one of the, one, one of the media team, um, said, You've scored the 20,000th goal. Um, you've got to do this interview, this interview, this interview. Um, you've got 20,000 pounds, or you've won 20,000 pounds. I was thinking like, won twenty thousand pounds and it says it's got to go to a charity of your choice and I was like okay brilliant um it's going to Acorns. and I was like okay like that's fine and um yeah all of that just took took care of itself and I was more than happy for it to go to to acorns anyway i weren't weren't attached to any charity at fine um it was yeah there was a few a few media things after that with um with, with the guys from Acorns, so it was, it, it, that was special.
1: I think it was the first time you'd played blues in the Hooliage season.
0: That's right. Yeah, I've only ever played against them once, um, in for um, for Villa, and it was yeah. Early on, we was we was all over them because I've ne- I've never felt so so sort of nervous for a game going into that one because I knew what was at stake and. Um, early on we was we was all over them and I thought we just can't lose this game like we need to win this game and the obviously the abuse that you you get yeah. there it was, was incredible and um, like I think we could have had three or four goals in the first 20 minutes and just never took our chances and then they score from a free kick um, I think it was deflected maybe um, and then we, we end up nicking an equaliser but I wouldn't say it's a great memory to have from I haven't really got any any good memories from a Villa Blues game. Which the game that I missed was the the game where I think that was that might have been the cup game as well, where they they beat us in the cup, and there was I don't know there was a lot of fighting and a pitch invasion and stuff. So um, it turns out that that weren't probably a, a bad one to miss.
1: Do you feel the extra intensity though, as a as a local lad, and you've probably got mates from both sides of the. Uh of the void do you actually feel it does it add to the stress levels
0: yeah um i certainly did i can't speak for uh, for for other players like that that aren't from that haven't got that sort of affiliation with with either side but um for me that game like it was even when when you watch villa blues game like as a as a villa fan you you you're so nervous it's more nerves than than anything i think and and i found that as a player as well um, I thought I did all right in the game. That the nerves didn't take anything away from. Like it didn't stop me perf- performing in at, at all. But it's it's something like you, you go there and how you get guided into the ground, and then you come. You can't come out the tunnel to warm up. You have to go a different way to warm up, and um, you get told all the um about all the police safety issues beforehand you have meetings to to make sure that you you're ready for like any eventuality and that sort of gets you it gets you a bit nervous in yourself
1: can i just take you back to a little bit before well it's the season before what was it like when martin left what's it like as somebody in that dressing room when that bombshell's dropped it was
0: a shock um I'd certainly say it was a sh- it was a shock um obviously being just before I don't know if I would have played or not it obviously worked out worked out well for me for that first game of the season because uh kev McDonald took over and put me straight in but when when he left it was um because of the the divide um there were some players that was that was happy about it but then other players that were distraught because. Like you say he had his sort of twelve, thirteen players that he he picked every week, um, and they were all happy, but then the ones that weren't playing weren't happy. So obviously when, when he left there was a divide in, in people that were happy or not. I personally was, was gutted because um John Robertson, who was part of his staff, absolutely adored me and um took me under his, his wing and um he really really took an interest in in my game and and he was always helping me and um, even he'd come and watch the the reserve games, the youth team games and if my youth team manager or reserve manager was getting on my back, he'd always back me up um, and say, no, I know why he's done that or I know why he's done this. um, I was was sad to see um, Martin go, Rob go and Steve Walford because what I think what they did for for the club at the time, obviously, I know it's hindsight, but um, everything that happened after it was it was no coincidence that that all happened after Martin left, and he had stability at the club, and and, and he got the 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 club
1: to some to some good finishes in in the league. So Kev Kev takes temporary charge. We we've Tony McAndrew for for a I don't know a month or so, or for for a few games. Despite you being disappointed about Martin and John Robertson and the backroom staff going, you must have been buzzing that that you know kind of one of your mentors is um, is in temporary charge. A
0: hundred percent. Like Kev, Tone, they they were brilliant with me, and straight away he Kev, I remember Kev coming up to me and saying, "Right, you're playing Saturday, so get your head around it, get ready for it. I want no excuses. Go out there and and show show everyone what you can do." And that that was that was all I needed and. I think that might have been on the Thursday, maybe uh, with the game on the, on the Saturday. And um, I remember just to, to wake up on the first day of a Premier League season, knowing that you're going to be starting was incredible to wake up to.
1: So after that, Juliet's come in. um, Just what's he, what's he like, Mark? Because I, I used to get on really well with him from a press point of view. I kind of had a bit of affection for him, like a friendly old uncle. Um, I know that some of the some of the players from back then we've spoken to. And Gabby, I don't think particularly got on with him. What was he like? Was he was he like this kind of typical kind of head teacher figure?
0: He did have aspects of that. Yeah, he had. Um, he did have aspects of uh, of head teacher, but I think that was just their culture. Like since we've had, I've obviously had Claudio at, at Leicester, the Italian, and then we had Claude Puel, who, who was French as well. And I think foreign managers are. They have got that way about them, and um, I think if you look at some of the German managers, even even and David Wagner, that that come over, they've got um, they've all got that head teacher bit about them, and um, Gerard Julio was was no different. He he had that, but I I personally really got on with him. He he helped me a lot. He gave me a lot of game time. He, he said the right things to me that I that I wanted to hear. Um, he he gave me pointers about my game. I was still learning, and he he always referenced back to players that he had had previously at, at Liverpool. I remember before that that Tottenham game uh, that I scored my, my first goal in. I remember him saying that he um, he played Steven Gerrard there, um, and I think he he might have. Uh, um, I think he said he dragged him off um, at half time um And because he weren't ready, but he says you're you're ready for this. Like you're you're more than ready. So he says, go out there and uh, and do yourself proud. And um I remember him, him reminding me that after after the game, there was no no one more pleased for for me than he was after that game. And yeah, just throughout, he he knew. I felt like he knew what Villa meant. He tried to buy into it. um That we had a. Uh, we had a lot of derby games that that year, and he always used to used to try and emphasise how much that meant to meant to the city um, in his team talks. And um, me being me being local, I knew that. But the, we had a we had, we had a, um, a lot of foreign players that probably didn't know. Um, so he he always used to get that point across, which which I thought was good.
1: Can I ask you about that um, that famous Man United game when it was so close? You scored, didn't you, that that afternoon? And they were about. Half, half a dozen six or seven or eight um, academy kids involved in the squad that day that
0: was that yeah that was a strange one I think with um, with the injuries that we had um, and the the youth that we had coming through it was um, the, the lads were well well deserved of their place and um, I think there was me Baz uh, I think Jonathan Hogg played in that one and there was a few others as well, and we took Man United all the way, and, and we was two 0 up. And to not come off with with the win was we was heartbroken in the dressing room, and um, there was there was no consoling on us after the game. And we even though we had just got a point against Man United, which everyone had written us off before the game, um, so to come in disappointed with a point sort of says how well we did. Yeah, we wanted the the three points after you get yourself two 0 up with not long to go. And not to win, you, you've just got disappointment.
1: Did you feel you were on the brink of something then, or was it still a bit too soon? Did you still think that you were kind of were keeping the keeping the spots warm for some of the, the senior players?
0: That's that's exactly probably how I felt. I'd probably say throughout my whole whole Villa time, I, I never really felt that I was established there. I always felt like I was, um, I was just there. It was convenient. I was if somebody got left out, it was probably going to be me. Um, I was a bit of an easy option, um, but I think at the time that that probably didn't really bother me because I was just happy to to be a part of it. And I, I had I did have a lot a lot of game time, especially under um, under Gerard Houllier and uh, and even Alex McLeish when, when he first came in.
1: What was um,
0: what was Robert Pires like? Um, brilliant, brilliant guy. He was such a a cool, a cool, calm character. He was. Uh, he just did everything. Like we, I remember that one of the rules Gerard Houllier bought him was that we all had to sit at the dinner table until everybody's finished, and no phones, nothing. You had to sit there, and until the last person's finished, you can't get up off your off your chair and go up to your room or go to where, wherever you're going to go and um, I remember Robert Perez come in and obviously the English lads they have got the plate of food in front of them and straight away like it's gone within within seconds and um, that's just what we was used to was, a lot of the lads had a hairdresser upstairs or whatever like the thought, oh, we need to he's got a queue upstairs so we've got six or seven haircuts to sort of rattle off and um I remember Robert Perez just come cool he, and he was so elegant in everything he did and he just took his time eating and he, he knew no different to that. He that was just the way he was. And we, we could be sat down there for sort of an hour and a half just, just waiting and um that, that's that's just, that was just him. Like he he, he made no apology and it, that was that was how he, he knew it. He didn't see anything wrong with that. But on on the pitch as well, like he even though by the time he had come to us, he was he was quite slow and he, he he weren't really the most mobile. Some of the stuff that he did in training was was incredible, and every, he just had the respect of the whole the whole dressing room straight away, and absolutely deserved it as well. He was not not only to be such a, a good player, but after everything that's that he had achieved in his career, World Cup winner. Invincibles team, it was to, to still be such a, a nice person. Um, everybody just respected that.
1: And is it true that he used to get ferried, um, chauffeur driven in the back of a Merck up from London every day?
0: I presume that would be true. Um, I don't know for certain. I can't say for certain, but I presume that, that would be true. I remember it might have been the following year or maybe even the year after that. We, we played away game. I played Arsenal and we was on our walk before the game and, um, we see we see a head pop out of, of a car, and it was it was probably Perez. And we had a we had a bit of a catch up on on the walk. I think he he joined a bit of the walk
1: for us. I was going to take you towards the end of that season, the end of Gerard's season, and what it's like in the dressing room when the news filters through that the managers kind of had a serious kind of heart heart issue again. And he won't be allowed to, won't be able to continue. What, what, what does that do to, to address him, room? Yeah. At the time
0: it was, um, cause I know there was still a lot of, a lot of people saying, I oh, don't, not sure whether he's the right, the right manager for us. Um, there was still a lot of, um, he, he was sort of in the balance within the, the fans. And it was for, for us when that news came through, we was, Obviously, obviously gutted, and the main thing was was for him to get better and and make sure that um, he was okay. Which thankfully he's he's made a full recovery and and he's doing well now. And like I said, he he was such a a nice guy. He said he said all the right things to you. He had the conversations with you. So um, for somebody like that, for for anyone to to suffer to suffer that is. It isn't very nice, and and our main concern was was for his health. I don't think I've seen him since. I, I still speak to somebody that that knows him well that I met through him um, that he introduced me to. Um, I still speak to him occasionally and find out he, he always passes on passes on his regards to me, and um, I do the same. So it's it's good to, to see that he's he's back, fit
1: and well. So as um as a Boywood Villa fan. Uh, Gerard goes, there's a bit of speculation about, I don't know, five or six names in the frame. Then all of a sudden the name of Alex McLeish, the the manager of the rivals from down the road, it it, it looks like it's not just a rumour and it's actually happening. How did you react to that? Um, At the
0: time, obviously I had, all my mates were... Well, most of my mates were filler. They didn't take it too well, and I remember getting messages left, right, and centre saying "Can't believe!" Like, "Can't believe what's happened." I was getting sent the photos of Bodymore Heath with the spray paint and um, everything, and I was uh, I was in like I, I didn't really know how to feel. I, I I was thinking from my point of view. Hope he likes me. The first time I met him was at the kit launch at Star City. He come into the um, the dressing room where he was getting getting changed and. Um, I just my first thought of him was gee like, he's massive. Like what what a big guy. Um but then yeah, just he, he had conversations with us. He, he was again, real real nice guy and um I think it was difficult for him to to ever win the win the fans over having come from come from Birmingham and obviously the the period that he was there, it was he, before even before and, and after it was it was a big transitional period ever since probably ever since martin O'Neill left and it, it was just real bad timing for him I think and it, it was a shame because I, I really got on with him really liked him um and I, I thought I thought that some of the stuff that that he said was, was was positive and and the lads took that on board Peter grant was was his assistant who um, who again was good he was he was good to talk to as, a, as, as an assistant and, and he, he helped me in my, my development as well
1: We spoke to Alex a couple of days ago and um, he was talking about kind of how it's not nice when the fans turn if my memory served me correctly it was against Bolton it was the first time properly that the Holt end and, and the rest of the ground all turned you're the player on the pitch and you're still playing for the manager you're doing your best to, to get results for the club and then you know the crowd all unleashes on the manager. How does that feel as a player?
0: Yeah, it's it is hard because um, obviously you don't know. I, you sort of know it, that it's aimed at the manager, but then you're thinking, well, he the manager's picking me. Like, are they not happy with me? Are they not happy with like the manager because he's picking you or picking this side? And you you, you don't know. Obviously, they their anger is towards the manager, but every bad thing that they that you then do on the pitch is greeted with forty thousand uh jeers and the, at that point, unless you um pull something spectacular out of the bag, it's it's hard to, to ever change that and uh, and turn that round. And I think once that happens, I think like I say, it's hard to turn it round and, and it's hard to get back to Get, get the fans on side and uh, and get them positive again.
1: So let's um let's move on to the, the Paul Lambert era. So Paul Lambert comes in in the summer of 2012. So you've got two seasons under Lambert. What did you feel, Mark? Because again, to me, and <laughs> full disclosure, I, I never got on with Paul Lambert myself anyway, but it felt to me, again, that you were kind of treated as a bit of a, a big part player and the manager came in and made a lot of signings from overseas and, Want to do it his own way? Did you feel on the edge of it, or did you did you ever feel properly involved in it under Lambert? Um,
0: I think when Lambert was appointed, I was I was really pleased. Um, in terms of very much like Martin O'Neill, um, Martin O'Neill liked me, so I was thinking he likes a. I'd looked at his teams previous. He likes hard working players. I thought I can't can't really go far wrong here. Um, or well, yeah, probably, probably the opposite. If I'm honest, um, it was again, like I say, it was the transitional period at, at Villa, and it was it was difficult for anyone to come in. And it, I still don't know to this day, like who was making what decisions, who was making the signings. A lot of players came in that weren't they weren't good enough. There was there was one in sort of five or six that were good enough and it was it it just weren't a good dressing room It, it was it was a toxic dressing room there was it was very separated um there weren't many um a lot of the big names had gone the the names that sort of held it all together it just never it never went well and there was there was obviously a few a few things that that stick out for me that just I, I was walking around the place and just never really got the feel that he ever wanted me as part of his as part of his plans. We um, he persisted with with the same team or the same sort of front three a lot um, in in that formation that he played. And whether we win, lose, or draw, he, he never really changed it. Um, so it was always difficult for me to um, ever be a part of. From, from my point of view, I, I was, like, it, it weren't all that. I was injured as well. That, that probably didn't, didn't help my cause. Once I recovered from my injury, he said, right, you can go out on loan. I think it was Wigan and Derby that were, were interested in me at the time. I got a phone call off, um, Nigel Clough, um, who loved everything I heard from him on, on the phone. And, um, I thought, right, like, that's, I hadn't heard about Wigan at the time if Villa are willing to if they can arrange the deal that that's great like if um, I can go and get some football for a month and then come back after Christmas and and hit the ground running and, and I ended up going into training and speaking to him about the phone call that I'd had from Derby and he said you're going to go to Wigan and straight away I thought why, why am I going to go Derby were above Wigan in the league at the time and I thought Derby suited me more with, with location wise, with, with the squad that they had. And I thought it's a strange one, but he, he was persistent. I'd go to Wigan and whether, whether that had a part to play that he was, he was good friends with Owen Coyle, um, at the time. So it was, whether that had a part to play, I'm not sure. Um, but I ended up going to Wigan. And to be fair, like, I've not a bad word to say about my time at Wigan. I was only there a month, but, it sort of opened my eyes up a little bit to um, the the s- sort of smaller football clubs and the, f- the family side of things. Cause I think as good as a club Villa is nothing away from Villa cause it's such a big club. Um, people get lost there and, and you don't really see everyone. Whereas Wigan cause it's so, so small. Everyone knew everyone, everyone got on with everyone and it was it was such a good feel around that place and manager Owen Coyle, fantastic for me. Um he was brilliant. Not a bad word to say about him and I love my time there, but um those were just the few things that, that happened during that, that era that didn't really didn't really fill me with any sort of motivation um at all for in terms of in terms of playing for him.
1: I should imagine that it's One thing when you're playing second fiddle to Ashley Young and Stuart Downing, and you can't get in the team as a result of players like that blocking your path. But when you're getting players who, in my opinion, are being signed, who are substandard to the academy kids that Villa have got coming through, I'm not going to name names and I wouldn't expect you to either, but that must be particularly galling.
0: Yeah, I think think
1: you're right. Um, Been so
0: long where it was... Um, Playing second fiddle to, like you say, Ashley Young, Stuart Downing, James Milner, um, and then all of a sudden, I, I can't get in the team. Don't get me wrong; we had some good players at the time as well. Andy Vyman was was playing at the time. He was um, he was banging goals in left, right, and centre. Uh, ben Tech, he was there. Gabby was there. And those three players were sort of, I won't say undroppable, but those were the three players that sort of never come out the team. I never seen a way in for me then. Um even even if we went on a losing a losing streak, it never sort of think, right, I'll give them a rest, they maybe need a rest, I'll I'll freshen things up. And I, I never really sort of felt like right, I've got a chance this weekend of as it went on, it just become like it'll take six or seven injuries for me to for me to get a game here. And once that sort of sets in, it's it, it's hard to hard to cope with mentally.
1: So, when did it become apparent that you'd got to got to go elsewhere? Because I presume you get to the Christmas time in the, your final year, and there's not, has there been anything said about a contract at all by then? Or?
0: Well, to be honest, um, come back from Wigan, and um, I think we did have a few injuries, and I'd done well at Wigan. Um, I'd played a couple couple of reserve games back here, and he put me straight in. Um, and I actually played quite a few games between uh, in that second half of the season. And I'd been doing well, um, and I knew I was only my contract was up. And I went in for a couple of conversations with with the manager, and um, every, every conversation that I had was was positive. He was. You're doing absolutely fantastic for me. keep doing what you're doing um don't worry about your contract it'll all be sorted at the end um don't just don't stress about it. Just keep playing your football keep doing what you're doing um so I was like i was I was fine with that I was yeah like I'm enjoying my football again I'm, I'm fit i'm staying i'm staying I'm staying fit and healthy and um I'm playing for playing for aston villa it was it was fine. Then it get, kept getting closer and closer towards the end of the season and still nothing. Two days after the season finished, my agent phoned me and said, there's there's nothing on the table from Villa. So I says, what do you mean there's no, nothing? He was like, literally not on an offer. There's not an offer there. Um, you've got to go to another club. He said, I've, I've spoke to a few clubs just in case this scenario Scenario happened. They'd like to speak to you, um, and at the time, I was just like, "Can I, can I call you back once I sort of take take all this in?" Because in my head, naive, like definitely naive, I I trusted everything that they said. I I, I don't know whose decision it was. I, I still don't know now. Um, in my head, it was yeah, like my contract sorted. Like he, he said. Uh, it'll be sorted towards the end of the season. Like keep playing your football, well, keep doing what you're doing, keep doing well. So that that's what I was doing and I I just expected um I, I didn't expect anything massive because I hadn't been playing um every every game and um I'd only play bit parts but it, whatever was on the table for me, I would have accepted a hundred percent because there was no way I didn't even in my, in my head think that I would, would leave Villa. Once I'd sort of got to grips with the fact that I weren't, I, there was no conversation to be had. Um, I phoned my agent back and, and he named the clubs that, that were interested and, um, and I chose, chose Leicester that, as my, as my preference. Um, and, yeah, it, I, I went there, spoke to spoke to the manager, spoke to um, Steve Walsh on the phone, uh, singing my praises and uh, and says how how good it is at, at Leicester, and he, he sold it for me.
1: I'm not trying to roll yeah, or to upset you, but after what is effectively probably, what, 17 or 18 years, to not have somebody tell you that your time was up and to have to hear that secondhand through your agent... That must have been a pretty almighty kick in the ball.
0: Yeah. Um, I just don't know who who would whose job it would have been to to tell me. Um, I don't know who I would have liked to hear it off, to be honest. I don't I don't see I didn't see anybody there that I would have enjoyed a conversation with or would have accepted a conversation with that was to say at the end, um, we're not gonna renew your contract. Um spoke to, went back to after the season had finished and, and I'd found that out. I went back to, to get my, my boots and um, the youth team and all the academy side were, were still there. So I walked around the building and, and sort of said my goodbyes to uh, and my thanks to, to everybody there that, that had helped me along the way. And um, every every person that I spoke to was was gutted for me and could tell how much how hurt I was about it and I never really felt anger towards anybody because like I said I don't know who who I would have enjoyed the conversation off like I don't if somebody had sat me down whether it be Paul Lambert had sat me down and says we're not offering you anything I, I wouldn't really have liked that because he had told me all along that I was getting one and it, yeah, it, it was just a, a whole. The whole situation was a bit of a blur because I were not expecting it because I didn't. I didn't see it coming. It was um, it, it, it just came as a total shock.
1: Turned out all right, didn't it in the end?
0: Yeah, um, i I'd, well, yeah, I certainly made the right decision. Um, there was there was three or four. I won't name the clubs, but there was three or four clubs um, that I could have gone to. There was a couple, but were sort of changing the managers at the time, and um, I think one of them didn't even didn't didn't even have a manager at the time, so it, it was just somebody else that was that wanted me and like from the chief exec or or whatever. And I, I didn't really I didn't really buy into that. I wanted to be wanted by a manager. Leicester, I looked at Leicester, and it was just stability that I felt like they had there it was long term. Um, the players that they had were my kind of players that, that wanted to work hard for each other. Um, and, it, yeah, like I said, it was the best, best best move
1: I could have hoped for. Do you think being kind of wanted, appreciated, respected and, and loved are all things that have kind of made it such a good fit for you there?
0: As upset as I was to have, to have left Villa, them not offering me a contract was the best thing that's happened to me because like I said before, anything that was on the table, whether it be a year or payers, anything that was on the table, I would have signed because that was my club and never like just totally loved the club and knew knew no different. Um, that was that that just that was my life. Aston Villa was my life from from when I was young. And I'd probably say in I was sort of getting a bit complacent there and never really, I never really pushed on as much as I I could. That was, I'm not, I'm not just blaming uh, other people for that. That's, that was down to me as well. So I never really kicked on as much as I should, but I think going to Leicester really, I was, I was always known as the the kid from the youth team um, at Villa. That's how I felt. Um, but once I'd gone to Leicester I was, I was a sign-in I was somebody that I'd been bought and they hadn't paid any money but I was someone that they had bought in so somebody along the way has gone I like Mark Brighton we'll sign Mark Brighton and
1: that that sat well with me Premier League champions are just, it's still even when you say it out loud we've, we've, with all respect to Leicester I've never known a sporting story like it so to be involved in it, it must have been remarkable
0: I was only having this conversation with somebody I was doing a um, an interview with with Leicester the other day, and um, I had to choose my six top games that I played for them. And since I've been there, the the six years I've been there, there was the great escape year was the first year. This, we won the league in the second year. We played Champions League in the third year. The fourth year was a bit of a uh, a nothing happened. Year I, there was Craig Shakespeare got sacked. So there, were, there was still a little bit of drama in there. Um the fifth year, um V Shoy's helicopter, he had his helicopter crash and V Shoy sadly passed away. Um and now the sixth year, uh, this is this is all happening. So since I've I've been there it's it's been very up, down, it's more more ups than downs, but certainly some bad downs. Um and it's it's been a a bit of a roller coaster a roller coaster time but the first two years was the well the first year it was um a lot of that i got injured in the uh I pulled my, my groin in the last pre-season game um and i was out for two or three weeks with that and then after that the the team was pretty much standard for the rest of the season then up until the last nine games and never got a look in in the slightest. I was, um, I was probably looking at, at moving at the end of the season. I was, uh, I was coming home saying to, saying to my family, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I wasn't even traveling. And I hadn't done that since um, when I was younger at Villa. And I thought I haven't signed here for this. And I thought this is the worst decision that I've made. And, um, I couldn't believe it and then the last nine games but bear in mind we was well adrift at the time so we was losing week after week and I was thinking I can't believe I'm not, not getting a look in I was doing well in training I felt, I felt and um, and then yeah ended in going in for the he changed it up a bit for the last nine games and there was a few things that, that got changed and we ended up um, having a change in fortunes
1: and, and going on and staying up. You're saying <clears throat> you're saying you've moved house recently, so that medal is um tucked away in a box somewhere rather than taking pride of place on the mantelpiece? Yeah.
0: Um so to be honest, we've got obviously the medal, uh we got the medal on the on the day that we, we was presented, but uh the club gave us a sort of miniature Premier League trophy which is is downstairs and that's that it that does take pride of place and obviously with the ribbons on it 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 just i i prefer to look at that if i'm honest than than the medal um as it's more of a, a replica it's um that that's more special to me i'd say
1: need to get some claret ribbons on that to be to <laughs> um i was just gonna say about um i can't believe that that Mark Albrighton now he's thirty because i remember you as this kind of you know very very i don't know precocious young talent i think even then you kind of got your head screwed on your shoulders but you know, you're a young dad, weren't you? you were a young dad at early twenties? Yeah, twenty-one. I had my first child, yeah. So you're a young dad, um, you've obviously had to cope with the, the disappointment of leaving your, your boyhood club, albeit it, it turned out for the best. You've had the, the situation like you said with, with the, the Leicester owner um passing away. And you've had kind of family tragedy as well. Do you you must feel like you've you've kind of lived a full life, if you know what I mean, in terms of the highs and the lows that you've had to contend with throughout your career and throughout
0: your life so far? Yeah, I think
1: um,
0: everybody obviously has, has things in their life that, um, that shapes them as, as people. I've obviously, I'd say mine's been no different. I've There's been things that obviously leaving, leaving Villa as, I'd say leaving Villa as a boy, um, going to Leicester, having to grow up straight away. Um, my, my eldest girl was still young then. Um so it was I, I was a young dad, but I was still I was I, I was still quite not immature, but I was still quite young. Like I, I still felt quite young. I I acted quite young. I was I was always quite sensible, but um I I didn't really sort of grow up properly until um until a few years later. And um I think everything that's that's happened um has sort of made made me grow up, and um, obviously you, you you spoke about the the tragedy that we had in the family, and um, my my wife had to grow up the same as I did. She she was the same. We were sensible people. We was um, we've been together a long time, and um, all of a sudden she she lost a mum, and, and she she's got two siblings, and um, there was a lot of stuff that needed dealing with around that time um, because of the the circumstances that it happened, and she she took it on herself to to care for uh, and look after her her family. Um, her mom and dad had split up at the time, so um, she it was on it was on her to sort everything. She had to look after her brother, or sister, as well as grief for herself and her growing up, seeing her grow up like into into this woman was um, probably made me grow up um, and it rubbed off on me and um, then to to then go the next season um, relating it back to football to then go the next season and win the league her family um, took a lot a lot from that uh, because it made people smile again within their family uh it, made, it put smiles on faces, it gave them something to to take the mind off what had happened. It felt like fate, it felt a little bit like, like fate. I remember um, waking up the morning of the first game of the season and I'd missed a lot of pre-season um, because I didn't want to go away to to the pre-season training camps and, and leave my wife here with on her own with the kids after losing her mum and missed a lot of the training. I'd done bits at home but... It weren't the same. I was I was running um, on on a treadmill with uh, with my brother in law who was who had moved in with us. Um, so I, the the morning of the game, I woke up and he said some something like, "Today will go well. Um, like you'll you'll do well today, and um, it will start a good season off." And that that day, we we beat Sunderland four to. I got two assists and a goal and the the rest of the season just kept kept going on. We kept winning, and at the end of it, there was there was a trophy, and it it just don't the, the whole thing. We, we got married that summer as well. That that we won the league. Um, so I came off the back of winning the league to then go into Thailand, celebrating out in Thailand with with millions of fans in in bus parades and. Come back stag do's, uh, wedding, honeymoon, and I, the I, I had the, the worst year of my life, and then the best year of my life straight after. So it's it was quite a roller coaster, but um, it was it, it was uh, and a part of my a part of my life that that shaped me as a person.
1: A couple of things I wanted to ask Mark was one: we asked this to everybody. Is that what's the best, funniest prank or moment that you can remember from your time at Villa, either coming through the academy or around the first team scene or on, on a tour or whatever? Is the one thing that stands out? When I first moved into the
0: first team dressing room, I remember um, Isaiah Osborne saying, wait, like, just be aware of the, the flying socks. So, like, obviously, everyone gets out of the shower, they've got wet socks. Whatever. And, and you've like, you, you literally can't look down because the socks flying everywhere. And, um, you, you've got to be aware. But, uh, other ones are just putting their clean kit in with the dirty kit. So then it goes down to, to the laundry and the skip. And you come to like after you shower, you dry yourself. You've got no kit. You have to walk down more or less naked to the, to the laundry. Um, to get to get your, your fresh kit or, or your kits sort of hidden somewhere like the the laundry people are being on it so um, you wouldn't have any kit um, but yeah they can't really off the top of my head can't really think of any any others it was always Gabby uh, when he was young Gabby when he was with Ashley Young uh, their main victim was usually uh, um, Nigel Rourke as good mates as they they all were it was it was usually Ashen and, and Gabby that, that were pranking uh, Nigel Riococca
1: we still see photos of you occasionally on in the, in the away ends or at Villa Park and stuff like that and I think that's probably endeared a lot of people to you the fact that you still have got that love for the club What what's that like when you're a, a famous footballer and you, you're still mingling with the uh, with the fans
0: it's obviously good because uh, in in all the times that I've been down there I've I don't get negative comments towards me, um, which is helpful. Um, if, if I'd left, um, on worse terms, then it, it probably would have stopped me from going because there the might have been sort of negative comments towards myself. But every time I go there, uh, people are full of compliments for me and, um, they always sympathize with, with the fact that I'm, I'm not there no longer. And, if i had my way i'd, I'd sit in the whole tender every every game but my um my father-in-law has got um he's got two tickets in the one of the executive areas and uh whenever i go i'll go with him so it's uh it's he's not the same as as being in the you get a nice meal granted you do get a nice meal but i'd prefer to be in the in, in the mix so obviously it's difficult At times, because you just like sometimes just want to go there, get involved, watch the game. Um, But when, like, I remember going to the Blues game when Gabby scored, it was a couple of years ago, Um, and Gabby scored in front of the Holt End. I remember going there, and it took me sort of four or five minutes to get from once I got in the. in the concourse down the bottom to get to my actual seat. It was like 45 minutes and I thought like it's as, as good as it is. Like there was, there was singing my name and, and it's such a, such a nice feeling to have that from the Villa fans. It, it, it was brilliant. But um, when you, you just want to watch the game, what you feel like you're being, you're being watched yourself. Um, it's it's hard to hard to concentrate.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for giving us so much of your time. I hope it's been uh interesting and enjoyable for you as well because I've had a brilliant a brilliant wonder day down down memory lane. I just want to kind of take this opportunity to to thank you on behalf of of us and on behalf of the Villa fans and just thanks for being such a thoroughly good bloke and just make sure that you you stay safe and, and take care of you, of you and yours uh, during these uncertain times. But top bloke mate, I've really really enjoyed that. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, no, thanks very much for having me on. I've enjoyed
1: it. I have. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa.